Hello and welcome to Notes from Musicians' Kitchens. I'm Jennifer Johnston and during this series I'll be talking to prominent music professionals about the relationship between food and music and everything in between. Notes from Musicians' Kitchens is a subscription-only online cookbook and mixology resource written by musicians from all over the world, sharing their food traditions and tastes to raise money for Help Musicians UK, a charity offering one-off hardship grants to musicians adversely affected by the music industry shutdown during the COVID-19 pandemic. Food is not just a universal need, but also a universal link to our homes and communities and a universal pleasure, just like music. We rely on food in the same way that we rely on music during extraordinary times like these, to bring structure and a feeling of normality to our days, to alleviate boredom and frustration, to entertain, to strengthen the feeling of community and to bring comfort, joy and solace. Notes from Musicians' Kitchens is a means of digitally breaking bread with each other, of sharing and appreciating our diverse food cultures, and of creating new memories. Please subscribe at www.notesfrommusicianskitchens.com. It's a one-off payment of only £10, every penny of which is a donation to Help Musicians UK. And you can also follow our progress on our dedicated Facebook and Instagram pages. I am delighted that my guests this week are the celebrated Bulgarian soprano Sonia Yoncheva and her husband, the Venezuelan conductor Domingo Hindoyan, who talked to me from their home in Switzerland. Sonia and Domingo have been enjoying family time all together in lockdown with their two young children and have been ultra creative in their pastimes, whether painting, making YouTube videos together or cooking. You'll hear about their views about the relationship between food and music, about two culinary worlds colliding, how they choose what pieces they perform, how critical they believe music education is, and what Sonia eats on the day of an important show. But first, a huge thanks to the sponsors of this series, Berry and Rye, Liverpool's beloved speakeasy, hidden behind an anonymous black door a cocktail bar with a heart and great jazz. During lockdown, we've all become very aware of how important local businesses are within their communities. Berry and Rye and their mixologists, the best in the business, have set up a delivery service on Fridays and Saturdays where they bring their signature cocktails ready mixed to your door. Hugely appreciated, especially by parents who faced a stressful week of homeschooling. Cocktails available include classics like Negroni, Manhattan and Old Fashioned. And all you need to worry about is whether you have ice in the house. You can find them on Instagram as at Berry and Rye. Now to introduce my guests. Following a series of spectacular debuts on the world's greatest opera stages, Bulgarian soprano Sonia Yoncheva has become one of the most acclaimed opera singers of her generation, starring in roles like Norma, Violetta, Tosca and Desdemona, and she is soon to tackle her first Wagner role, something you'll hear her talk about. She is a Rolex ambassador and lives in Switzerland with her Venezuelan husband, 
renowned conductor Domingo Hindoyan, and their two young children. Domingo began his music studies as a violinist and member of the Venezuelan music education programme El Sistema. After being appointed first assistant to Daniel Barenboim at the Berliner Staatsoper, he has developed a significant international career and is currently the principal guest conductor of the Polish National Radio Symphony Orchestra. I'm delighted that they now join me from their home in Switzerland. Welcome to Notes from Musicians' Kitchens. Thank you so much for joining me and I hope you're both well. How has it been being in Switzerland during lockdown? It's marvellous. We're pretty much enjoying it. And in the beginning, we were in such a, such a great mood because it's so rare that we're together, four of us. One week ago, my, my daughter, she had her little teeth coming out because she's only six, six months old. Really <laughs> and we said, oh gosh, Luckily, we are in this coronavirus thing, because otherwise I would never see that. And um, I don't know, there's, some, there's something very positive, because both, both of us, but not only us, all the world now has so much time to come uh, to our thoughts, to our inner world, to ask ourselves questions. We have so much time with each other, and, and this is rare, not only in our family, but everywhere, because we are always living in that kind of a fast food sensation right <laughs> it's like a friend uh, of mine told me recently somebody said time is gold and somebody corrected him said no time is life and now that we have a lot of time we have a lot of life i started the quarantine when i was conducting in poland we canceled a concert in the middle of the week after such a strong period of rehearsal and I came home on 13th of March, and I have to admit that in, in six years we have been together, I've never been more than six or seven weeks together uh, in a row. Probably, That's yes. That's the secret of our marriage. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably, yes, in New York, uh, January, February, and March in New York, the 2018, when you were singing Tosca, Tosca and yeah. Wem, and I was doing LEC or something. Then it was kind of a normal family, everyone working every day after the other one was very, very nice. But otherwise, in Europe, it's always all-time traveling. And this has been really in a sense, good for us. In the other hand, of course, we are starting to get impatient to perform and to get back to work and be back to contact with the audience and to, you know, this very nice storm of making music and traveling and, and meeting people and sounds and adventures. This is, we are starting to get impatient. Uh, Sonia, a little bit maybe more than me for the moment. Oh, but, uh, but yeah. <laughs> I am in a total creation mood. I have to create uh, every five minutes something new comes, comes to my head. I love that. <laughs> yeah, what have you been doing today? Well, today I paint this, I, I, I will maybe turn the computer. Oh, wow. Now, no one can see this apart from me, but um, it's a fabulous <laughs> canvas covered in, in diamond shapes in complete yeah. rainbow of colours. It's amazing. It, it's great to create. It's also great to have time and the space to create something that, as you're saying, we don't normally find ourselves with enough room in our heads to do. So are you also finding time to create in the kitchen? Yes. <laughs> this for sure. This for sure. I mean, in six weeks of uh, lockdown, we have been through many different styles and uh, 
Uh, the beginning, of course, like everybody, like be careful. We're getting gaining weight, and let's let's calm down a little bit with the food because every meal was something. I, uh, you know, you every, even went to run or something. Yeah, at some point I said, "Come on, I have to stop." <laughs> Which it. is wow. Uh, for wow. some reason, I think we're not the only ones. For some reason, the the baking, the baking became something very important at home. I think in every house, I see in social media all my friends like baking. Every one better than the other is just great. So I start it's baking. Relaxing. I start baking. Then <laughs> we start. I start with some. I have like a week of Venezuelan food. Uh, then I couldn't anymore. I did some sushi. Yeah, you went to the Asian. I was in Asian for one week. In Asian for a week. <laughs> now I I came to the Oriental. I'm I'm doing some Turkish uh, breakfast. Oh, that's amazing! Yes. Uh, it's full of herbs and and, and garlic and garlic and the bread. And you know, for a Bulgarian like me, this is really the taste of my childhood. Because that's what I wanted to tell you. Even if you think we, I come from Venezuela and Sonia from Bulgaria, what is interesting to know is that my background is Turkish Armenian, born in Syria. So my grandmother, she cooked at home some Syrian Lebanese food, but also some Turkish food. And Turkish food and Bulgarian food are similar. Close, are similar. Super similar. I mean, we have uh, basically the main dishes. My hometown is south of Bulgaria. And if I want to go to Turkey, I need just a couple of hours by car. That, that's really amazing because you have a huge mixture of culture, as well as Armenian people are living in my hometown. Many of them are great musicians, artists. My first solfege, solfege, Teacher. Yeah, theory, music theory. Theory, music yeah. theory is, is Armenian. And uh, I used to spend hours and hours in his home with his wife and she would cook for me some Armenian food. So, um, you know, I'm pretty close to his mentality as well. He's close to mine, though we've been born to both of us. In, we were born, both of us, in so different points of the world. Sure, thousands of miles apart. Do you find, though, that Domingo... You long for Venezuelan food at times. Yes, absolutely. That's very often. But I have at home always the necessary ingredients <laughs> to uh, solve that problem. So you have to see Domingo in Spain because you have all these shops. Uh, you can buy all the um, necessary ingredients to make any kind of Venezuelan food. Uh, and as well, you have Venezuelan restaurants. So Domingo was in paradise. When Sonia sings in Madrid, I find all the Venezuelan uh, restaurants or all the Venezuelan markets. And Barcelona. And Barcelona also. And then it's great because I have already everything and I feel at home. I haven't been in Venezuela since three, almost four years already. It's a long time, but I have met I have met my parents, where and my and my, my sisters and friends, and we often cook Venezuelan food. And what does that mean? What what are the dishes that you would want to cook or miss? Well, the there are three main dishes that are quite important. The very first one is actually becoming very famous all around the world. Is called arepas because it's gluten free and it's, it's very famous now because it's gluten free. It's made by uh, sweet corn, corn flour. Yeah. Corn flour is fantastic. It's, it's kind of a bread made but, by, corn. by corn and filled with whatever you want. What almost everything you want. My best is chicken 
with avocado and you mix it together with a little bit of mayonnaise and you put it inside of this bread is wow end of the world exactly and the other one is cachapas which is a, like kind of kind of a pancake of sweet corn flour pancake kind of sweet but is with with this white fresh cheese is great and then there's the national dish which is the pabellon which consists on white rice shredded beef slow cooked beef uh, black beans banana plantain we call plantain, it. yes yeah. plantain and these four four ingredients it makes the like that's the venezuelan national dish it's and la- super tasty yeah and last night i did uh, a soup a soup called chupe chupe is <laughs> is actually a soup we have three kind of soup in uh, in latin america the most famous is the peruvian when you go to a Peruvian restaurant, you have chupe, and it's the famous national and is the soup. Same? Is the same? No, we have our variations, and there is of course one in Chile, one in Peru, and we have even our Venezuelan variation. This I cooked last night for my for for Sonia. But and, say what you have inside. Well, it's basically you know chicken, uh, chicken consomme. How you say broth? Yeah, chicken broth, corn, and uh, some Venezuelan vegetables. vegetables. And if you find the Venezuelan spices, is even better. And he put a bit of cream, and then he added the white cheese feta. Exactly, or something. So interesting in terms of as a family. Do you think that your children will come to love Venezuelan food? I mean, do you give it to them? Mateo adores Venezuelan food because every every morning when he, when he used to go to school, but now he's not going anymore, of course, because of the crisis. But uh, his daddy would cook for him some arepas in the morning. Then he would cook a soup or a rice with some beans. And he was always super enthusiastic. A little bit less about the Bulgarian food. <laughs> you know, I can understand this because he's uh, very pretty much connected to his father. And they're just, you know, Mateo is just mini him. No, I don't. <laughs> no, but I think it's because of the, the spices. The yeah. spices, the Venezuelan food is... Uh, kid-friendly, children-friendly. I mean, arepa is something very simple and you put some cheese on it and it's just perfect it's, it's for the not, It's never oily, yeah. Uh, the Bulgarian could be a little bit more sophisticated, it's more spicy, it's, it's more heavy. And then children sometimes say, okay, you know, the, the children, they like the clean fish, you know, or the clean schnitzel yeah. with rice or something Plain. for the moment. And after, you know, it's like with music. Some repertoire requires time and maturity <laughs> and maturity. Very true. You know? And other ones, uh, how many people I, I meet at 15 years old? I don't like Wagner. And then you see them 40 years old, they're at the opera house because they love Wagner. You know, it takes time. There are some things that are an acquired taste. You have to spend time to educate your palate or educate your mind. To enjoy and I think that sounds very much the case for Bulgarian food. Do you think that in musical terms then that you have a similar mind? Do you find that there's any argument about what goes on the stereo when you're cooking? That's such a funny, can I answer first? Yes you can. That's so funny because (laughs) it happens exactly with the food. Started like and discovering, you know, which kind of music you like, which kind of music I like. Of course, a, a singer and a conductor just start to understand what a conductor is. Oh, that's that guy. He's accompanying me since six years. Actually, it's not only accompaniment; it's something much more complex. And then, you know, she understands what's happening. I used to hate conductors before knowing him. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, but with the with the music, let's let's put the the, the 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 classical music and opera apart for the moment. I had this, of course, this background of Latin music. Well, you can imagine today the person who is listening to Latin music as much as possible at home is Sonia, especially boleros and baladas. She loves that kind of music, and with classical music, with our job, is the same. But with our job. Is more of we enrich ourselves. I, I introduce her to some symphonic uh, works that she doesn't know, uh, for instance, okay, but also Bruckner symphonies or Mahler symphonies, all this would not necessarily know immediately. So okay. the music okay. happens a little bit the same with the much the same like with the food. <laughs> you can add something if you want. Yes, I can add. Um, you know, I grew up in a very musical family. N none of my parents were musicians, but they both enjoyed music so much. And even sometimes they would not speak, but they would express themselves with music. It means, you know, typical Bulgarian uh, Balkan family. It means um, we get drunk, we put the music loud and we try <laughs> to sing till five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> until it all goes out <laughs> and that's why in my house I used to hear all kinds of music from the typical folkloric music in Bulgaria to till the biggest rock and pop um, uh, tubes and uh, the classical music because it was uh, uh, of course was my my brother and me because we were following this kind of um, education so we, we were the only one um, professional musicians so um, it was all music all my life so I pretty much also um, understood all the countries I visited in my life not only because as an opera singer but because I lived in Switzerland but I live also in France uh, lately in Germany a little bit in Italy the only way to understand the mentality of people um, was not only the food but also the music they were creating and listening to and so for me, knowing the music of his continent was almost like getting to knowing him much better. Also because I don't know Venezuela. I never visit Venezuela, which is pity. It will come next time. Yes. <laughs> it's just such a long way away. Do you miss the music of your country, Domingo? Or do you, do you find that because you're doing so much other repertoire, you don't go back and listen to South American music yourself? I miss it, uh, especially the typical Venezuelan music. But uh, once again, uh, like with the food, I, I really make sure at home and today with the technology, I can just, you know, uh, have my perfect Venezuelan music playlist. What I never knew about him, and I knew it just later, because he's also connected to the music and to the rhythm of the music, is that he's a great dancer. And oh. he's dancing so well, oh, yeah. a typical dance from his country, but also from his continent. And it's uh, incredibly, well, beautiful to see and sexy. Well, this is, this is quite, <laughs> this, is, this is a little bit natural. You, you, you express yourself with dance, with the moving of, of your of You your know, body. when you grow up in a country like mine, you know, everyone dances and then you really want to be part of the school, friends and so on. And then at the end, you end up learning to dance. But is it true, is it true that if you want to invite a girl, I mean, to seduce her somehow, first thing is to invite her to dance? I have many Venezuelan friends that they don't know how to dance. So oh. it's not really that it's 100% of the population. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's a, let's say it's a good... 
it's a acid. common it's a common it's a thing. very good acid if you dance you know you see in bulgaria this will never happen i mean a bulgarian man will 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 invite you to eat something or to drink so um so it's another kind of um it's interesting this right restaurant drinks are dance and all together uh-huh. you you almost like when you come next time you will see any restaurant you go at some point the music will get a little bit louder and you're allowed to stand up and dance Oh, so nice. Apart from the Star Michelin restaurants, there, there you don't. But in the majority of the restaurants, you can just stand up and dance and you will have maybe live music. Something that for me, this is another interesting point with music and food. I normally don't like to eat listening to music. I like silence. And that's a problem I have sometimes in the United States because every restaurant has music. And very loud music. And loud. And yeah. also in Venezuela. And also in Venezuela has music. And so, so sometimes for me, it's, it's a little bit of a problem to have like live music concert and food at the same time. It's like my senses get all mixed and I cannot really enjoy it either. Neither. In Europe, I like it. It's calm. Food is about food. And music and party is about music and party. In South America and in America and North America, it's a little bit all mixed. And then it requires to me uh, to adapt a little bit when, when I go there. Yes, for a foodie like you. <laughs> yes, it's true. In each country we go, in each town we go, Domingo is coming with a list saying, here we'll find the best dessert. And here is uh, two stars Michelin, one star Michelin. And I invite you to this place. And here we will drink the best wine. And he's all the time formed about this. You know, it's a culture. It's also the curiosity of, uh, of each of us. He's very greedy as well. <laughs> I think this is awesome. And also there's another subject. It's not, the master, it's not now the subject of this conversation, but it's the coffee. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. Uh, if we include it in the food, the coffee is important. In, uh, it's very important. I love it. And Sonia also loves it. Yes. And then it's the Venezuelan coffee and Venezuelan chocolate is also, I miss it very much. When you drink your coffee, do you like it a particular way? Mm-hmm. Yes, both of us, we have different ways. Well, l- lately I became totally um, uh, dairy-free and gluten-free and also... Decaf. I'm decaf. And so it was kind of complicated for me to find the right drink because I used to drink coffee, 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 like tons of coffees. And all of a sudden I was restricted. And that was a big pain for me, big pain. And so Domingo started to invent kind of drinks, different kind of drinks. Or chai latte with soy milk. Then when we were in New York, he would go every morning just before I wake up buying my chai soya. That really is true love, you really. Oh, that was amazing. It was the best moment in New York. <laughs> and then when he left, I was missing this so much because, well, he, he was with us only two two weeks or something like that. Well, it depends on like, which New York I used to. I've been in there so the, often, but yeah. The, last, the latest one. With the coffee, I go by, by periods. You know, I... Uh, when she's singing in Italy, I love the really Italian distretto. Distretto, yeah. Love it. But uh, in Germany, I adapt a little bit and I like, you know, the Milch Cafe and then I like the, the, all the mix and I enjoy it very much. But when, once again, when I miss something in Venezuelan, I, I do my Venezuelan coffee that it is kind of an Americano but not so much. It's a little bit more concentrated and you do it with this filter, this tissue filter. It's Ah, it's fantastic. And 
sometimes we go back to this Turkish coffee. I love it myself. Yeah, yeah. me too. I grew up with the Turkish so coffee. It's, we, also because my mom, is she's totally crazy. And she, <laughs> she would take the coffee and when you finish to drink, she would tell all your future. <laughs> <laughs> this is totally oriental. Did she ever get it right? For instance, she would say, I see you in a big dress and a lot of lights around you. And there he is, Domingo is conducting you. <laughs> yeah, or to me, she will say, I see a lot of love, a lot of love, 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 love. And you know, she will say what she, what she wants to say. A little bit, <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> but what I wanted to say is that when it gets warmer, um, I pretty much enjoy the frappe, the cold coffee with some ice and milk, dairy free, of course, and a little bit of sugar. And I mix it and I can drink this for probably one hour until it gets melted totally. And, <laughs> and you know, in Bulgaria, there is a very strange culture. When someone calls you, he will never say, would you like to have a chat with me or let's go out? He will say, let's go for a coffee. And it's all the time like this. You go for a coffee and you can stay, you can stay in front of the other person and talk to the other person for two hours with the same coffee until the coffee gets totally um, cold. cold. The, the process. process, the process of being with people and drinking the coffee is something that we really, really, really enjoy in Bulgaria. And when you are at home, do you find that you have a sort of pattern in the day where coffee is part of that? First thing is the coffee in the morning. Yes. And we bought a very nice machine, coffee machine, and then every morning that's that's it. I drink in the morning. I like very hot coffee, so I I drink like two or three because it should be hot. Sonia can have the same coffee for an hour. And it's totally cold, but she goes on with the same coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I have time to drink it calmly, you know. You always have to do so many things. Prepare breakfast for number one, mm-hmm. breakfast for number two, breakfast for number three. But you like it. You like the coffee. Yeah. And coffee. I love the coffee, yeah. Are you somebody that has a love of very hot food? No, not really. Not in my case. In Venezuela, we uh, the food is not known for being hot uh, and this spicy but we traveled together to mexico and uh, we had a small a small tour of uh, two three concerts in mexico and i have to say that we try the real spicy hot food no i don't me i like sometimes really i like it uh, well when i was pregnant I, I had to avoid totally this but sometimes you know when i was a little girl my father used to tell me especially if I, if, if I had a little cold or something, take this with a lot of spice and then you will, you will feel the burning inside of your body and then you will get completely you sweat. sweat and then you're done. <laughs> I, I definitely think there's something in that. In Bulgaria, it's all about onion and garlic and especially garlic. So even when the coronavirus started, <laughs> there was a fake news, kind of, kind of a fake news that all the Bulgarian people took it for, for real, that if you eat a lot of garlic and you drink a lot of uh, rakia, we call it, how, how yeah, it? Yeah, rakia would be the... It's kind of a scotch, right? Yeah, the grappa, the, grappa. You know, the Bulgarian yeah. grappa, you know, yeah. So if you, if you drink this and if you eat a lot of garlic, you'll never have the coronavirus. So someone posted something that in Bulgaria you should wear a mask, not because of the coronavirus, because of the smell. <laughs> I think it also depends on you as an individual, but my family, some of us, if we eat garlic, we'll literally smell of it for days afterwards. So I try and avoid it. Yeah. It's a really unpleasant thing to be on an opera stage. 
and have to be standing next to people while they're singing and all they can smell is garlic. So unless you don't like your colleague, I think it can be quite a troublesome thing. You avoid that your mother cooks before going to sing. Oh, yeah, of course. To avoid garlic. Yeah, sorry, I couldn't hear the last thing. Yes, absolutely. I, uh, I avoid, my mother is always, she has a temptation always to put the garlic inside. You know, it was very difficult for me to explain to her that, you know, I have sometimes to kiss another person or <laughs> on stage. And, and so she said, okay, okay, no problem, no problem. So um, you will not eat uh, garlic today. I said, no, no, I will not eat uh, garlic. So I arrived to the theater and I take off my clothes and I feel a smell all over the place. And I said, what's that? And I put my hand in my pocket and I, I found at least five or six little um, uh, garlic. Yeah. <laughs> Garlic, because yeah. my mother believes that this is against the I don't know how you say this some English. some some good energy things yeah no it's it's against the bad energy and the bad eyes so, so sometimes funny. I would find even garlic in my suitcase in my shoes <laughs> crazy yeah, but it's really funny you know it's something yeah. something that we don't really appreciate now but maybe later when we'll be older we will say oh my god she was really fun <laughs> something very interesting about the food and our job something i've learned is with singers i don't know your case Jen, jenny but for sonia sometimes she's uh, she's during the, the the performance and i'm there that day and intermission said now we need to eat something in the second half. I have a lot of maybe dramatic moments or I have a high note or something. I need some food. Can you grab me a sandwich? And then... <laughs> Almost always. People don't actually appreciate, I don't think, unless you are a singer. But if you consider how much energy you use in a three-hour show, it's incredible. or even if you're singing Wagner, it can be up to six hours. It, it's a huge amount of effort. And actually, eating is part of all of that. Do you have a routine, Sonia? So do you have foods that you will always choose to eat on the day of a show? Well, maybe food that I, I will avoid is uh, something acid, you know, or yogurt. I found that the yogurt, even though I love yogurt, of course, as I'm Bulgarian, <laughs> but um, the yogurt makes dry my, my throat somehow and uh, I don't feel really well afterwards. Um, tomatoes, um, of course, no alcohol at all. But what I find strange is that I'm, I'm not a big, I'm not greedy. I don't like to eat that much. For me, eating is more necessity because, of course, we have to eat, so we, we have power. But um, when, uh, when I have to perform, I sometimes have three dinners, one before the show, one in the middle of the show, and one after the show. And this makes me so sick. <laughs> Next day, I'm just, <laughs> oh, no, gosh, we ate so much. And then, you know, it's very tricky when you, when you sing certain parts, I noticed I always have to keep my weight on the same level. It never has to drop down or to go too higher. Or it's 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 really crazy how much we are connected to to the food and to the diet of every day. This this I, I well you you both singers you could say I I don't know I always thought maybe it was psychological a little bit uh, when when I used to hear Sonia telling me I'm singing now this role but I'm losing weight I cannot I feel unsure if I lose weight for this. 
for sometimes I have to gain weight for, 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 for Tosca. I don't want to, I don't want to be too thin for Tosca, <laughs> you know, or like or, a Hollywood star, or, they all do that, right? <laughs> but I, I really don't know if it's connected, always more in your mind. No, no, it is connected. I, 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 don't know. I noticed that the color of the voice changes when I, I, I've been pregnant two, two times, and you too, you know, the difference before and after. Mm -hmm. I it's mean, a huge difference. It's also hormonal, of course, but I think it's also pretty much connected to the weight. Uh, if you lose weight, you also don't completely retain as much power as you had before. I know Domingo thinks we're all nuts and that actually we're making this up, but it, there is a very real connection there in terms of the strength that you have. If you look at Wagnerian singers in particular, the physiques that they have, I mean, they'll be very muscular. Mm. There's, a, there's a big relationship there. Well, I think it's not it's not of the high notes, but I think the color of the voice mostly. And what I think uh, it's not that the weight is giving you power; is that when you are a little larger, you have much space to breathe, and all of a sudden, all, all the all the air is um, is circling in in different way. And uh, I noticed it with my uh, before second pregnancy because it was a tougher one <laughs> the second is always tougher right um when i came back afterwards on stage i felt like um how to say it like a machine for war you know <laughs> <laughs> and really massive and impressive I, i felt that because everything around my waist was larger so i could breathe more and i had much more breath so i could enjoy phrases much better and sing with much more power. That's really interesting. As somebody that doesn't sing high, I don't know about that stuff. So I find <laughs> that really fascinating. My voice is all in the middle. I always want to be a mentor, you know. <laughs> He knows it. <laughs> I, tell, I, I, tell her, I was studying Aida. I said, Sonia, for you, Aida will be great. Oh no, I'm more a nerdist type. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about the vocal. I'm not talking about the vocal type. She's talking about the person. She loves the, the, the lady, you know, she loves the, the, the girl. Yeah, and I'm enjoying the middle, as you say. <laughs> middle is the most feminine and the most uh, beautiful part of, of, of the voice of a woman, I think. It's so sensual. It's so full of colors. It's never, it's never pushed into some limits. And it's really, really lovely to hear. I love the middle of the voice. In terms of the role choices that you're making and will make, can you see yourself moving into even heavier repertoire? Or do you think that actually for now you're happy in the sort of the band of roles that you've been performing already? Well, I'm happy with what I do, but of course there is always the temptation of going somewhere else, right? And exploring new worlds. But um, if all is good, now in a few months I have to do my first Wagner part. So How exciting. What are you doing? It will be Elsa, flowing green. Oh, beautiful. And yeah, it's beautiful. I think it was the safest one, even though I wanted to debut with Elisabeth Tannhäuser. That was my fetish, the most lovely part ever. And um, I used to hear it many times in my youth and I was very much impressed by all the opera. I found it very compact, very interesting. And also, you know, the story of this man with these two women, so different. And one of my real temptation artistically was to do both of them to do elizabeth and um, venus. venus because basically what happens in his head is a little bit this right <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I don't know. I have all the time so many, so many ideas, and um, some of them are starting with the pure madness. It means I wake up in the night and I wake uh, Domingo and I say, Domingo, please hear to me. I, you know what? I want to do this, and he's like, okay, okay. Shall we sleep now? And next, <laughs> next day, <laughs> when we wake up for real, I am about ringing all my agent assistants and stuff and telling them that I have absolutely to do that because God knows why. And then it turns out to be a huge success. So it's intuition, it's love, it's maybe curiosity, curiosity, and also, uh, you know, we singers, artists, we always want to put us on the extreme situation. So that, that's where we become really, really creative. Uh, let me just say something and the, from the conductor's point of view, which is very interesting for me to see because Sonia, she, she, she sounds really like it's all inspiration and creation and, and craziness, but, but is so much uh, rational also. She thinks so well all, everything what she's doing. Let's not forget she started as a Baroque singer and she likes to go back to the Baroque and she will never go to a big theater like the Met or Covent Garden or uh, without really being sure she's going to what she's going to do. It's a it's a it's a logic. I mean, we're all musicians. Uh, we've been in the field for so long, a long time, and I started learning music and studying music when I was six. So I have a, a superb view of all of the history of the music and the styles and the operas uh, created all this um, past uh, 400 years. And of course, if I do a choice, it's never because only I'm totally mad, but it's because I, I was really thinking about it. And <laughs> some, sure. somehow it, it, it's falling in love. You know, I, I'm sure that with you is the same. I, I, it's not quite the same. In my voice type, I never get to be the diva. So uh, it is not the same thing, really. <laughs> well, that's so better for you. <laughs> it's slightly annoying at times. In, in my case as well, though, the big repertoire is still to come because actually age-wise, it does count how old you are, mm -hmm. um, particularly as a dramatic voice where you're taking on Wagner for the first time, not least because I think the Wagner orchestra is very different in density and sound to some of the other repertoire that you've done. I'm sure you'll you'll be quite shocked by the size of the orchestra, not least. Totally, I, I'm sure about that. Well, I've been preparing myself for a long time. I, I I even was pretty sure I will be maybe never ready to sing this. Not because it's impossible to have it in your court, but because Wagner is. Um, if there is the Bible, um, maybe Wagner is. It's exactly this. Here's the Bible. You have really to, to go through it and understand it. And what you, Verdi would say about it. What? <laughs> what Verdi would say about it. Well, Verdi was uomo di teatro. We know it. He was about the theater. He was about, he was about uh, the woman. He was about um, experience in life. He was about also shocking the audience. Um, Wagner is pretty, pretty deeper than this. I mean... Even the, even the subjects he evokes in his operas are so different. And I, I had to be really uh, ready to understand this. What Domingo said before, it comes with age and it comes with experience. And it's, um, for me, it, it went in that sense. And also I was waiting for um, someone 
wiser than me to propose it to me and to say, okay, I think that you can do it. And this, this was pretty important. This was Baron Boim, so I trusted him. Totally. Yeah, I think you can trust him. In terms of you, Domingo, do you ever find that there are pieces that you wake up in the night and think, gosh, I'd really love to conduct that? Yes, there are. There are. Uh, I go, I go through, through transitions in my life where, where I want to conduct some pieces and not other ones. For instance, a lot of my childhood pieces that I used to, to attend concerts, my, my father himself is a violin player, and I used to go to these massive pieces, and long, like Bruckner symphonies, like Mahler symphonies. I would never, at the beginning of my conducting studies, I would never think, I'm, you know, this, I have to wait for that. And then now, after almost 10 years conducting, now I think, now is the moment. I have done, like two years ago, one Brunner Symphony. Now I want to do all of them slowly, you know, to program them one every season, one every two seasons. Uh, Mahler, but or sometimes I just go to a concert and I see, uh, you know, one opera performance. Wow, this I want to conduct. Or sometimes she's studying something at, at home, like Don Carlos. I say, oh, Don Carlos, I really need to conduct that opera. Comes to to my mind. But uh, it's true that I try to organize my seasons in a way like it's logical, like my mind can retain everything because I can. It's not great to change repertoire every week. Sometimes we really, you opera singers or singers, you go one month to a production. Sometimes it happens I have four weeks in a row of different orchestras, so I have to be careful. Calculated time to be prepared very well for each one. So I have to to to, to organize that. Of course, after the, the vocabulary of each composer, at some point I know it. So if I have done Tchaikovsky four and five uh, and one, then I know uh, it's easier to me to learn the other symphonies. So that's why it's great to do sometimes the cycles uh, because it, it goes really fast and you understand the whole biography of, of the composer. And uh, this I try to, to build in my repertoire. So. Conductors are so organized, but when, uh, when he was about to debut the Bruckner eight, I can tell you, I saw Domingo going out of his skin. It was just impressive uh, working period. He was totally into the thing, but in such a way, maybe I never saw him like this before. It's, you know, I think he has kind of fetish pieces from his childhood, of course, but also in his head and also things that there, there is always a music that you will understand better. You will receive the right message better than others. And I think Bruckner is talking to him very closely, right? I think it's from childhood because maybe my father liked him very much and, and, and it was at home. Of course, I'm not an Austrian and it, it comes with... Oh, you maybe have a grandfather or <laughs> no, something. No, no, no. It comes, it, many things come from, from, from childhood. Also being... Wait, being... yes, but you know, music has no limits. I mean, me, I'm not Austrian, I'm not German, but lately I, I completely... Um, uh, fell in love with 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 Mahler and his total crazy inner world that he had. So you're you're totally talking to the right the right person here because uh -huh. I spend most of the year singing Mahler. He's my favorite, so I'm I'm a big fan of you saying that. Some of that crazy world we can only appreciate because we're a little bit older, more mature, more complex emotionally. Have you found that that's changing as well since you've had children, since you've 
grown into married life. You know, we feel different, don't we, in our 30s than we did in our 20s. That's a gateway then into other composers. Yeah, and also we musicians, I think we're living many lives all together, you know. And uh, one day, only because we're traveling so much, and um, and then secondly, because we're changing repertoire and um, we're meeting different genius every week or every month this is an incredible experience this is you you will barely need to go to a museum to get richer because i mean you don't really need that because you you have the museum at home and the scores are an incredible testament of the history of the world of the music of the taste of the people of their mentality of what they were inside and how rich richer than us i think they were we have the privilege because we can communicate and we can have the luxury of visiting everyday different places and we can move in the world as no one. I mean, <laughs> today everything is so easy. But uh, what they had in the past, in the past, and I think this is much more luxury, is, is the, was the silence, the distance, the privacy, um, also the time. What we have now in now, now we're going to create the biggest, biggest successes of the musical history. <laughs> well, of course, the Renaissance came out of the plague, so let's hope so. You um, see? The, the thing that interests me, though, about you both is that your musical journey started very young. In terms of your musical journey now, how much, for instance, Domingo, do you find that your journey with El Sistema has informed what you do now? I started really young. I mean, I was four or five years old. I had already a violin in my hand. It doesn't mean I knew how to play or could play it in any case, but I had it. And I was attending a concert every week. And then I had this education within El Sistema, which is the main, this is the main institu musical institution in my country. So, which is great because the... Uh, way the system approach music is immediately fun. It's immediately in collective. I was five years old without, I mean, I barely could play something and I was in an orchestra. So what happened with that is that the first thing you have to learn is the rhythm to be together. It's the totally opposite of Bulgarian. The, yeah, and then the rhythm to be together, then the notes. Then, but the rhythm, which is that's the great thing about El Sistema, is that the rhythm is the first one, is the most basic, and is the one that is common to every type of music around the world. And from the pre prehistorical times. So that's the first one. Then melody and then harmony. Then harmony and melody depends of which region of the world you go, and uh, the Oriental and the uh, Asian and the and the, so, But then this element, and then when you are five, you are four, and you have a teacher, you try to get together, get together, get together. It's like playing football. For me, it was like going to football. And by the way, I would not miss the opportunity in the break of the orchestra. I would play football. So for me, <laughs> going to the orchestra to the conservatory was fun. I was not in a four wall room trying to, you know, oh my God, I will, I will. <gasps> it was I exactly will. my case. Well, I had it, but I had it in between the fun. I had it in between the fun. So that for me, it was, of course, a lot of influence uh, in, in my life. Well, the half, the half of my life, I was there. 
after I was in a professional orchestra in Venezuela, where I could play a different repertoire every week. I, when I came to Europe, I was only 20. I had already so much repertoire in my in my mind. All Brahms Symphony, all Tchaikovsky, half of the Mahler repertoire, Mozart, Beth, all Beethoven's, everything. So I was in a traditional European conservatory with all that in my mind. I came for the violin first, and then it was quite easy and natural to, to go to conducting after. That's interesting because in the UK, our music education has been slashed to the point of almost oblivion. Um, thankfully, we have some Elsa type schemes, like in Liverpool, which is where I live, where we have something called In Harmony, which I think, Domingo, you have went, you went and visited them, which yes. thrilled them enormously. It's really, really important, isn't it? When you look at the, how many great musicians have come out of Elsa fascinating in itself, because in a country that's not very well off, where poverty is rife, you've got some utter superstars that have emerged out of the Elsa system. It goes to show how important early music education is. Essential. It's essential. And, you know, I think it's a responsibility of the parents as well. Of course, not every child has the chance to, to be born in a musical family or people who like classical music or, or music in general. Uh, so I think it's, um, it's very important that uh, the system around us gives the wings of um, all these schools that exist all over the world and also in each country to insist on the music and on the arts because they give an incredible luggage, you know, something that you, you own for your life. That said, it doesn't mean that this person will become a musician later on, but the seed is there and then it will grow and maybe uh, this will help him understand the world better. Music and arts are really capital for our kids. And I was always uh, very much insisting on my my son, for instance, who loves opera, but I wanted him to be there. And we are lucky because he, he loves opera. He loves uh, symphonic music. He he could stay an hour and a half in a concert hall listening to most impossible pieces with such a concentration. And he's just a kid, you know. <laughs> I mean, he's got good teachers then in the pair of you, though. That's the great thing. He's lucky. He he's, has so he, much exposure to things. But it's it's so easy also for, for parents who are not musicians. It, it, it's easy just to, uh, to be aware, to open their eyes. But, you know, it's also, it's also about media. So recently, I saw publicity in France, in, on the French television, about a boy who was not that good at school, but he started in sports. And sports changed totally his life. And the publicity said, maybe your kid needs this to change his life. And I said, and what about if this is a, if, if they change the sports for music, yeah. uh, for art? The tendency in the world today is, is to think about um, much more funnier things or easy money as well, because we know how much one musician earns and how much one football megastar works and how much he earns. So um, the, the difference is enormous. And also the, the media attention is enormous. Um, it's totally different than us. And I think that music deserves to be in that place. Is that important? Thank you to Sonia and Domingo for joining me and talking about creativity, family life during lockdown, and the collision of European and South American cultures in their household. It's also been really interesting gaining an insight into how they choose the repertoire they perform, and how Sonia copes with the pressure of a major performance day. 
It's clear how important music is in their daily lives and how passionate they are about music education and the doors it opens for children worldwide. Please support Notes from Musicians' Kitchens by subscribing to our website, www.notesfrommusicianskitchens.com. It's only a tenner, and every penny is going to help Musicians UK, a great cause. Make sure to tune in to the next episode, where I'll be talking to another music professional about what food means to them, and keep an eye on Instagram to discover their identity. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. And remember, food is love. <laughs>